Alrighty, today we're going to talk about something. Has God forgotten me? Has God forgotten me? You may not be asking it today, but there's going to come a day when you're going to ask that. If, why aren't my prayers answered? Why didn't I get to have what they had? Why did God let this happen? These are questions that I buried a young man yesterday that's much younger than me. And his wife asked me, why did God let this happen? I visited with a family this past week. A friend of mine died in a car crash week before last. And uh, his wife said, why, why did this happen? And these questions come up in everybody's life when, you know, we, we got our little, this is how my life's supposed to be. And then all of a sudden it don't go like that. And we get, we get turned around and then we begin to wonder, how come God isn't doing what I thought he should do? And why don't he hear me? And where's he at? I, I hear this a lot. Uh, it was some years ago, I had just buried a man, just did, by buried, I mean, did his funeral, just did the funeral of a man in his 40s who died of leukemia. It just dumped this family upside down. A few weeks later, I buried the mother who had an accident and died. And I remember the young man saying, there can't be a God. If there's a God, why is this happening to our family? I don't have those answers but I do have something to say from his word. So we're going to talk today about when God has forgotten me. But we have to start in 2 Peter. And I want you to, uh, I want you to look at something with me in 2 Peter uh, chapter 1, verse 20. What's the first three words? Knowing this first. Somebody tell me what the word first means. I knew it meant first. Thank you. <laughs> look at those three words. Knowing this first. What's the first thing God wants you to know? Listen to me. Before you launch into questions about things, before, listen, before you even try to figure life out, before you even try to understand why I'm on this planet or what am I supposed to be doing, there's something he wants you to know before you deal with any question. What is the first thing your heavenly father wants you to know? It's this book. What do you believe about this book? Let's read it. First Peter, excuse me, second Peter chapter one, verse 20, knowing this first, this is the first thing he wants you to know. No prophecy of scripture is of any private origin. Your Bible might say interpretation. Origin is a better word. The Bible prophecy never came by the will of man. I've talked to many a person and they'll say, we know the Bible is just written by men. What does that say right there? It didn't come from men. Verse 21, prophecy never came by men, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Under, you, listen, mark those two verses before you read anything in the Bible, before you learn anything else, before you deal with any question of life, you got to settle it right there. What's the first thing he wants you to settle? Men didn't write this book. God wrote this book. Why is this the first thing you have to settle in life? Because we got to make a decision here. Is there truth or is there not truth? How many of you believe there's such a thing as truth? Okay, that puts you in the minority of Americans. I've seen everything from 80, 75 to 85, about 80 about 80% of Americans say there's no such thing as truth. I want you to listen to that again. 80% of Americans in surveys say there's no such thing as truth. Absolute, concrete truth for everybody all the time. People reject that. Our universities reject that. What do we call it today? People have today what's called relative truth or relativism, which means truth is fluid. You know, I can decide what truth is. What's true for me ain't true for you. What's good for you is not good for me. In other words, I get to make up my own rules or my own truth. Right, you've got to decide as a person, is there absolute truth? Is anything certain in this land? Or is it just, who knows, everything changes? 
What's the first thing he wants you to settle? There is truth. There's absolute truth for all the ages. Where do you find it at? You find out the Bible. I do, listen, listen to me. You keep hearing me say this. We got to hear it. We have got to get back to the Bible in our, in our lives. I don't think my nation's ever coming back to it. But in Christians, we've got to get back to the Bible. We're making decisions based on emotions. What looks good, what we feel like. You need to know this first. God wrote this book and this is your truth. This is your foundation right here. All right. I want you to listen to what Jesus said in John 17, 17. He said, make their lives wonderful. Anybody interested in a great life? Yeah. Listen, listen to me. People say to me, well, you know, we don't know why God does what he does. Knock it off. Quit blaming him for the devil's handiwork. The thief came to steal. I'm quoting John 10, 10. The thief came to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Why is it that when something's destroyed, people say, we don't know why God does what he does. I thought destroying was that other guy. Let's settle this. Abundant life, Jesus. Destruction, Satan. Let's settle the issue. Quit giving my king credit for what the other guy does. He came, oh, give thanks unto the Lord for he is good. We got to get back to truth in this thing. The fog is starting to mess believers. The fog is messing preachers up in this nation. We got to get back to this book right here. Jesus said in John 17, 17, make their lives wonderful by your word because your word is truth. All right, every person in this room, you got to decide what's truth to me. Do you get to create your own truth? Good luck. Or do you get to say, no, that's my truth right there. All the truth of the ages is right here. One day Jesus was asked, uh, he was always asked weird questions. Somebody said, what is truth? You want to hear a wild answer? This is John 14, 6. He said, I am the way, the truth. Now, let me tell you something about Jesus. He's either everything every human needs and the answer to every problem, or he's a lunatic. You can't say things like, I'm the truth. I'm the light of the world. I'm the bread. You can't say stuff like that and either be it or just be off the deep end. And you got to decide. Is this man the light of the world? Is this man the only hope of the ages? Is he the truth? Or is he some deranged preacher that we got no business listening to anymore? Everybody's got to settle the issue of truth. And truth goes back to this book. First thing you got to know is truth. And does it, where does it come from? The source of all truth is this word. You got to settle it. I've, listen, I've staked my life on this book. I've staked my eternity on this book. And when, when everything's going crazy in my land like it is right now, or crazy in my head like it does sometimes, Oh, bear witness with me. I don't try to figure it out. I sure don't listen to the experts. I go back to that book right there. That's my truth for all the ages, for all of eternity. Now, before we can discuss, has God forgotten me? We got to settle. This is truth right here. And whatever this says, we're going with it. Let's vote. Okay, about six of us down front are going to go with it. That's wonderful. <laughs> Turn to me to Isaiah chapter 49. Isaiah chapter 49. Hang on to what you hear today. Demons, it's easy to sit in an air-conditioned building when we've been singing nice songs and everything's going pretty good and say amen. I need you to hang on to this stuff so when the bottom falls out, you can go back to it and have something to hang on to. Somebody down here just said it will fall out. Mark it down. Mark it down. 
The Bible in Hebrews says you need an anchor. It says we have an anchor of our soul. And you're going to need an anchor when the storms come. You're going to get it today. All right. Don't raise your hand. You don't have to answer. But have you ever just thought, God don't care about me. God's not watching. He has forgotten me. Let me tell you something. You didn't really think that. Somebody spoke that into your ear. And he's a liar. All right, that's a, we see that over and over in the Bible where, where people say, he has forgotten me. Why would you say something like that? Because of what's going on around you. Because of the unexpected craziness of what's going on around you. And we all have crazy stuff. Am I the only person that's ever just been in the total dark? I had my life planned out. It was going to go just like I wanted it to. Everything was going to be hunky-dory. Y'all young people don't remember that kind of talk. Everything was going to be wonderful. And then all of a sudden, nothing turns out like I wanted it to. You know what that's called? Life. All right. These are God's people. Watch the question they ask. Verse 14 of Isaiah 49. Verse 14. Zion, which is the name of God's people, said, The Lord has forsaken me. The Lord has forgotten me. Why would his people say that? Now, y'all don't know the history of these people. He'd done so many things for them. Why'd they stand up one day and say, He has forgotten me? Somebody take a wild guess. Crazy things were happening. That they didn't understand. They, we, listen, how many of you like for crazy things to happen? Nobody wants that junk unless you're just nuts. But can I get a witness that happens? I talked with a girl not long ago and she said, you know my dream? I said, let me, let me say it for you before you tell me. Let me tell you. She said, you're going to get out of college, get a, get a job. You're going to meet this nice guy. You're going to settle down. You're going to buy a little house, white picket fence, 2.4 children, grow old and croak with him. I've been around a lot of girls in my life. And I said, I see the tears. Tell me what happened. She said, he walked off with another woman. Where's God? I thought he was going to be good to me. Then this kind of stuff happens to everybody. These, these life gets dumped upside down. And then we say things like, why didn't he let, why did he let this happen? Where's he at? All right, let me ask you a question. If you were to ask, if you were to look up to heaven and say, you have forgotten me, I maybe think you'd be mad. Would you be mad if your child did that? This is one of the greatest places in the Bible. When he hears them say, you have forgotten me, he answers them, listen to me, and he's answering you. The Bible is a book written to me and you. Read with me, verse 15. And here's his answer to them when they said, you've forgotten me. Can a woman forget her nursing child and not have compassion on the son of her womb? Stop right there. Somebody answer me. Can a woman forget the child that she bore? Could you see me now? My kids are grown now, but when my kids were young and my sweetheart comes in when they said, sweetheart, where's Caleb? She'd say, who? <laughs> Caleb, the son that we share together. She said, oh, oh, I don't know. Where did I go today? Walmart? Maybe he's in the lost and found at Walmart. I, I, I mean, he's 27, six, seven years old now. Could you imagine me saying, sweetheart, have you talked to Caleb lately? And she'll go, who? You said, brother, that's the stupidest thing I ever heard. Yeah. Can a woman forget the child she bore? What do y'all think? No. Wait a minute. Watch what he says. Can a woman forget the child she bore? Verse 15. Can a woman forget her nursing child? Not have compassion on the son of her womb? Surely they may forget. What's he say? It can happen. It can happen that a woman, I'd, I'd never criticize anybody for anything. I've known women have babies and, and after a while, just bring them and drop them off at a firehouse and go on. 
You know, you can drop a child off at a fire station. It's a safe place. I've known women that could just have a child and just give them up and forget about them and go on. He said, well, well, well I don't criticize anybody because I've never been there. But you know what he said? It could happen that a woman could do that. And he's asking this for a reason. But I want you to watch what he says now. Let's read it again, verse 15. Can a woman forget her nursing child and not have compassion on the son of her womb? Surely they may forget, but I will not forget you. I want you to listen to what he said. Your mother will forget she bore you before my eye come off you. All right, now listen, listen to me, dear ones. Is he explaining their mess or is he speaking to their hearts? Jesus, when people are in this mess where the craziness, cancer, death, broken hearts, unfulfilled dreams, we don't need answers as much as we need peace. I don't need answers as much as I need his presence. I need him to talk to me. And the Bible said, he said, listen, your mother will forget she bore you before I'll forget you. And then I love this neck. Now this is, people think this is a little redneck. I didn't write it. But I love this right here. Matter of fact, folks have got ill with me about this. Verse 16, he said, see, I have inscribed you on the palms of my hands. You know what inscribed means? Permanent marked. And hands in the Hebrew can mean hand or arm. Anything down here is hand. Uh, you know what God just said? I tattooed your name on my arm. Somebody said, I can't believe you said he had a tattoo. I didn't say it. He just said, I have tattooed your name on my arm. Uh, dear ones, <laughs> A lot of people think that tattoos are, you know, for people that are not as uppity as they are. <clears throat> but I want you to know, I sort of like them myself. I want you to notice, I got one recently, a fellow said, you, you got to really think about a tattoo because, you know, that's a long time. And I thought, not for me. <laughs> you 20 some years old, you better think about it. I won't wear this one long. I'll be gone. But then was listen to me. I want you to look at that again. He did not say, I've tattooed your name on my arm. What's the first word? He said, see, there's a big difference in telling somebody I've got a tattoo and saying, look right there. See my tattoo? God is saying, look here, look here. I wrote your name on my arm and you're wondering if I've forgotten about you. He said, I've inscribed you. You said, Brother Brian, there's almost 8 billion of us on this planet. Listen to me. Get out of your head. Listen to his heart. Get out of your head and listen to his heart. Your name is on his arm and he wants you to see it. See, I've done this. And then I love this. It says in the latter part of verse 16, your walls are continually before me. How many of y'all that blesses y'all? No, I don't do nothing for you. I don't care if he's watching my walls. Hebrew here, walls was my defense. Let me put, let me get you from another translation. You are always on my mind. You are always on my mind. Now, a famous hymn writer years ago by the name of Willie Nelson wrote a song. <laughs> Maybe I didn't like you. You know how Willie sings. And it's a beautiful song, but it's a lie. Willie sang this song, You Were Always On My Mind. Hogwash, Willie changes women like I change fishing lures. She wasn't always on his mind. <laughs> Can I get a witness there too? Anyway, I'll tell you, Willie's, do you know Willie's 86 years old and still singing? I need to smoke more marijuana if I want to grow older. Don't you think? <laughs> Apparently that hemp keeps you around forever. Don't help your looks now, but it keeps you around forever. I'm sorry. All right, you have forgotten me. And he said, your mom will forget you before I'll forget you. I have tattooed you on my arm. Listen, there's never been a moment I'm not watching. You are always on my mind. You're always there. He said, well, well, well how come? Listen, stop with the how come. Not only are you not going to get an answer, you're going to get the wrong answer. And you're going to screw up with it. 
Can we reach a place in our lives where we stop leaning on our own understanding and trust in the Lord with all our hearts? Got me? Dear ones, I don't need to know what's going on if I know that he's watching me. All right, let's go a little further here. Tom's turn to Psalm 139. I want you to see how far back it goes. Psalm one, now that, that's a great passage. Psalm 139 is a passage that you need for the rest of your life. All right, Psalm 139 is the father speaking to you personally. I love this passage. I love all of them. This is great. Psalm 139, oh Lord, you have searched who? Does anybody know what the Hebrew word for me is? It's me. You've searched me and known me. You know when I sit down. You know when I get up. You understand what I think before I think it. You're watching my path. You watch me lie down. You're acquainted with all my ways. I never speak a word that you don't know it. You say, oh my gosh. Wait a minute, wait a minute. If he's mean, you're in trouble. If he's good, this is safety. This is not, I'm trying to catch you. He's not trying to catch me. He's trying to help me. This is not an angry judge waiting for me to make a mistake. I done done that. This is a loving father watching over me. There's a big difference. And I watch over you. Verse five, you're around me. You've circled me behind and before, laid your hand on me. Now watch these words, verse six. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high, I cannot attain it. You will never figure this out. This is so far over your head. You can't understand this stuff. You say, why are we reading it? Because your heart can believe it. And you can know it. Dear ones, many people that I know, many Christians, have this little prepackaged, all figured out God that's about that big. He'll fit between their ears. If your God will fit between your ears, get you a new one. If you can understand him, obviously he's too small. I was just talking with a fellow from Hawaii between the services here about the discoveries of the Webb telescope this week. We live in a universe. We live in a universe that he created made up of uh, galaxies. Our galaxy's name is Milky Way. We're one of the smallest, smaller stars, about average, but a little smaller. They have named over, named and numbered, scientists have named and numbered over 200 million stars just in our galaxy. Listen to what the Bible said. The heavens declare the glory of God. The stars are his handiwork. This is what he does on the side for fun. Now my life is my, is Jesus, my family and you. I do woodworking on the side in my wood shop. On the side, God has a hobby. It's called stars. (laughs) This is what he does on the side, dear ones. The stars are his handiwork. Um, I saw also this past week, they just tracked, I think it's S1617, the star closest to the center of our Milky Way that goes around that black hole. It moves at 5,000 miles a second. That's here in Los Angeles and back in one second. You said that? Who can understand that kind of stuff? Listen to what the Bible said in Isaiah. He measures the whole universe in a span. That's between your thumb and your first finger. He's that big. This is over my head, but I know that he circles me. Follow with me in Psalm 139. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from the presence of the Lord? If I go into heaven, guess what? There he is. If I should make my bed in hell, there he is. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, where's that at? Somebody know? It's off the coast of Japan. If you were to go to Japan, certain place, and go about 30, 40 miles offshore, 
That's the, utter, that's the deepest part of the ocean, uttermost parts of the sea. Take that boat, go out 30, 40 miles, jump out of your boat, swim straight down for seven miles. You'll get to the bottom of the ocean. Guess who you'll find waiting when you get there? <laughs> What's he saying here? There's no place you're going to go that I'm not with you. No place you can go that my eye is not on you. In the uttermost parts of the sea. Verse 10, even there your hand will lead me, your right hand shall hold me. All right, let's stop at verse 10. He said, I don't care what you do, my hand's on you. Now you may say, well, how come I don't see it? Dear ones, have you ever heard of this thing called faith? Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. I don't have to feel him to know that he's right there. I will fear no evil for thou, O Lord, art with me. We got a transition from feeling, logic, circumstance to what does this word say? You, know, you, you got to base your life on this word. You got to believe what he says right here. No matter what you feel, you got to go with what this word says. He will be there. All right. <clears throat> if I say the darkness will fall on me, it goes on to say, look, there's no darkness in him. He sees clearly. Now let's track a little further. Let's go back a little bit. Verse 13. You formed my inward parts. You covered or knit me in my mother's womb. How many of you believe that? All right, dear ones, I will praise you. Verse 14. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works and that my soul does not know yet. If I thought I were fearfully and wonderfully made and marvelous, why would I have low self-esteem? Why would I struggle with rejection? Why would I be a, why would I compare myself to anybody else if this my soul knew right well? Now, you got to get this down inside of your soul. Uh, I've had people say to me before, well, I was an accident. No, you cause accidents, but you were not an accident. What does this teach right here? There's never been an accident. You might have surprised your mama, but just because you surprised your mama don't mean you was an accident. He put you together there. He was in your mother's womb years ago, working there. Verse 15, my frame, my bones were not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth, which is my mother's womb. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed. You wonder if God sees you. What does that say right there? He not only saw inside your mother's womb, he saw you before you were in your mother's womb. Your eyes saw my substance before I was formed. I said, Brother Brown, how, how can you see somebody before they get here? Go back to big God stuff. He's able. It was before your mama met your daddy, he knew you. Furthermore, let's go a little further here. Verse 16, your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed and in your book. I maybe think God has a book. Y'all think God's got a book. And we're not talking about the Bible here. This is a different book. And in your book, they all were written the days fashioned for me. What does that tell me right there? Before I was born, before my mama met my daddy, he saw me and he wrote some things about me. God wrote about me in his book. Every one of you. God wrote something about you in his book. One of the great verses on this, you want to look it up sometime. Ephesians 2.10 says this. I am the work of God's hand. I am the creation of God's hand. Created in Christ Jesus for Gloom, despair, and agony. Deep, dark depression, excessive misery. If it weren't for bad luck, I'd have no luck at all. 
Get this in your hearts, dear ones. You weren't created for whatever. You were not created for gloom. We are the creation of God's hand created in Christ Jesus for good. Good. Good works, which the Father prepared in advance that we should walk in them. He wrote about me in a book. Not the Bible. There's a different book. Let's talk about his record book. My name is in there. He wrote about me. Now, listen to me carefully. Let me help you here. I have messed it up, what was written in that book a time or two. He lets me make my own decisions. And I've made some bad decisions that messed up what was written. But I'm going to tell you something. And I've suffered because of my decisions. But let me tell you about this father right here. No matter how bad I've gotten off track, he always brings me back to what's written in that book. All right. I, the days were written. I was, I, there's nothing in that book bad. There's nothing in that book of destruction. He don't tear up. He fixes. He came that I might have abundant life. Now, I had some rough times as a child. That wasn't him. He's not the terror upper. He's the redeemer. And I made some bad decisions and I became a criminal. But I'm going to tell you something. It was written in that book. It was written in that book that on June the 17th, 1975, his spirit would fall on me at the edge of Car Lake and I would be transformed and meet him. That was written in that book. It was written in his book that I would go to a certain college. I didn't learn nothing there. If you're going to say you're a Christian college, we need to be one. You don't need to be one in places where the FBI couldn't find Jesus with a search warrant. We need to let Jesus in our schools. <laughs> I didn't go to that school to get an education. I went to that school to meet a woman. That was written in that book. I know it was. I met that woman. It was meeting her that gave me the partner for life. That was written in that book. It moved me to a place called Alamance County, North Carolina. No matter how far off track I've gotten, he always brings me back to what's written in that book. You're written in that book. I don't care what people do to you. I don't care if you give him the finger. He'll keep trying to bring you back to what he's written. The days were written before he knew me. Let's go a little bit further here. Verse 16, your eyes saw me before I was formed. In your book, they all were written. The days were written, fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them. When was he writing your story? It wasn't 10 years before your mama met your daddy. What does it mean before the days? Before he said, let there be light. Before there was the first day he saw you. He wrote about you in that book. And everything that's written in that book is good. I know the plans I have for you. Good, not evil. A future with a hope. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. He said, Brother Brian, if you knew me. No, 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 look, look right here at your preacher. The problem is you don't know you. You think you are what you've been through and who your coach said you are, and who your mama said you are, and who society says you are. You are who God says you are. Everybody repeat after me. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows right well. Stick with it. One of the things I hate about the entertainment industry and culture and advertising all that right now is what they're doing to teenage girls. That makes me so, I start to say it pisses me off, but you can't see that in church. It makes me so mad <laughs> what they're doing to young girls. Let me tell you what the industry is saying to young girls. If you don't look like this right here, there's something wrong with you. Since when did the entertainment industry have the right to tell you what you're supposed to look like? I thought your creator decided what you look like. Listen, teach these things to your children. Entertainment industry, a lie. Jesus, truth. Bless our dear hearts. We got to get back to this book. 
All righty. Verse 17, how precious are your thoughts to me, O God. How great is the sum of them. If I should count them, they would be more in number than the sand. How many times has God thought about you? All right, do this. Next time you're at the beach, start counting. <laughs> One, two, how precious are your thoughts about me? More than the sand. You say, how, how can a man have that many thoughts? Let's go back to big God again. Listen, my mind is tiny. His mind is wonderful, but his heart's even bigger. And he's thinking about me all the time. His thoughts are always on me like that. I want you to look with me. Look in verse 23. Now, many, many preachers have messed this verse up, but you remember, let, let me help you learn something about the Bible. Any verse in here has got to point back to the whole of the text. All right, verse 23. Search me, O God, see what's in my heart. Dear God, look into my heart, see what's in there. See if there's any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. God, how we've messed those verses up. We say, yeah, yeah, Lord, look in here. Any wickedness, get it out of me. Wait a minute, wait a minute. What's the context? What's the context? The deception about his goodness. Listen to what he's saying. God, look in my heart. See if I believed a lie that a coach told me in high school. And let's get that wicked mess out of here. See if what I was told by my first husband that I'm a loser. Let's get that out of me and let's get the truth in here. Search me, oh God. I, did, I didn't do well in school. So that means I'm a loser. Get that wicked way out of me. Search me, oh God. I'm not as good a Christian as other people. Get that wicked way out of me. God, see it. Look in my heart and see if there's junk that's crippling me and get it out of me. Listen, we, we need to open our hearts and say, anything that's not your truth, get it out of here. Get the garbage out of my life. You know why people stumble? Because they're crippled by the junk they've heard in the past. A daddy who says, you can't do nothing right, boy. That gets down in your heart. And that cripples you for the rest of your life. Search me, oh God. Get that garbage out of me. Amen. Let's replace you can't do nothing right, boy, with the Father saying, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Hallelujah. I've had women say to me, nobody will ever have me. Let's get that junk out of there and let's hear him say, I have plans for you. Now, let's get the garbage that our culture's put into our hearts. Let's get it out. Search me and get this junk out of me, God, so that truth can fill my being. Dear ones, abundant life comes from truth. Let me quote it again. John 17, 17. Make their lives wonderful through your truth. Your word is truth. When we get the junk out, I've, I can't tell you how many people I've met in my 42 years ministry that have said to me, I can't go to heaven. And I'll say, well, why can't you go to heaven? That's why I've committed the unpardonable sin. And I said, well, what is the unpardonable sin? And somebody had lied to them and they're fixing to go to hell over a lie. And I'll say, uh -huh. let, let me pull out my Bible and show you something right there and they'll go, they lied to me, I can go to heaven. I said, congratulations. <laughs> truth sets you free. Dear ones, we've got to know this book and know the truth and the joy that it brings. That's why Psalm 139 is so imperative, so important to you. <clears throat> Some of you struggling in this room with pain and the stuff of why is this going like this? I wish I could answer your questions, but I can tell you this. He's watching you. Right. Turn with me to Luke chapter 12. I want to show you one more. Luke chapter 12. This seems sort of strange to me, but I'm going to show you. Uh, let, let me just ask you this before we read it. Does any, has anybody here ever worried before? Yeah. Now, I know that by nature, I'm a non-worrier. Um, I sort of think it's a good idea myself. I, 
Has anybody here ever been afraid of anything? How many of us try to convince folks we're not afraid because we're afraid of what they'll think if they find out how afraid we are? A spirit of fear has covered the land. I hear believers say, I'm so scared for my children. Who is your God? I mean, smack. <laughs> like he who hung the stars in space can't take care of my children. Like I was the one responsible for them anyway. Listen, when the world collapses, this, world will, this word will still be standing. You can trust this word. He didn't have bad plans for your children. Why are you afraid for your children? All right, let's, let's read this. this is, I thought this was unusual until I saw the last part of it. In um, Luke chapter 12, verse six, he asked a question. Are not five sparrows sold for two copper coins? What do y'all think? I have no idea. We don't sell sparrows around here. I don't know how much sparrows cost. <laughs> When's the last time you saw somebody selling sparrows on the street corner? <laughs> we don't do this. Obviously they did it back then though. And, he, and he's asking a question because apparently they sold sparrows. I have no idea why, but apparently if you could come up with two pennies, you'd get five sparrows. Anybody interested? I'm not. I don't even like my wife's dog. I don't want no sparrows around there. All right, but apparently back then they sold sparrows. He said, listen, are not five sparrows sold for two copper coins? Watch what he says about that. Verse six, and not one of them is forgotten before God. What's he talking about here? Now, this passage is in the Bible twice. The other one's in Matthew chapter 10. It goes like this. Are not five sparrows sold for two coins? Not one sparrow falls to the ground apart from your father's notice. I love birds. I love to feed the birds. I'll probably get in trouble for saying this. I got bird feeders all over my place. I keep them full. I spend a lot of money on birds. I love my birds. Don't mess with my birds. I keep a stage coach gun by the front door for the squirrels that like to get in my bird feeders. You going home, you mess with my birds. Don't, those of you that are, you know, you, you huggers and lovers, relax. There ain't nothing but a rat with a long tail is all it is. <laughs> I have no idea how many, but listen to what the Bible says. And you know what he's saying here? Not one bird ever hits the ground that he doesn't see it. Right. Watch what he says. And then he shifts gears again. Same thing. Verse seven, the very hairs of your head are all numbered by who? Who would bother to number the hairs on my head? Wouldn't take long for me. Who's he talking about here? All right, now listen to me. He did not say he knows the number of hairs on your head. Yes, yeah, he did. Wait a minute. Go back and look again. The very hairs are all numbered. Now, if you're a young person and you're healthy, unlike some of us, the average healthy young person has about 20,000 hairs on their head, give or take a few. You know what he's saying right there? You think God's forgotten you? No sparrow falls to the ground that he doesn't see it. Reach up on, if you've if you got longer hair, reach up, pull one hair out. Hold it up to him and he'll tell you 11,356. Why, why would the man number every hair on my head? What's he trying to say to you here? And you think I don't see you? You think I'm not involved? You think I don't care? Watch one of the great secrets of the universe here in verse seven. The very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear. Therefore, you are of more value to him than many spares. He'd sacrifice all the birds in the world for you. I want you to look at two words in that verse right there. Fear and value. You know why people are afraid? They don't know how valuable they are to God. If you ever let him show you at heart level how valuable you are to him, you'll never be worried another day in your life. You'll never be afraid of anything the rest of your life. The almighty who hung the stars in space never takes his eyes off of me. He watches me every moment. I have no idea why things happen. I don't care anymore. 
I don't need to know what's going on. I need to know he's watching. I don't need to understand this crazy world. I need to know he's right here. And I am of more value to him than all the sparrows combined. Listen, I want you to reach a place in your life where you have no fear because you know how valuable you are to him. I want to wash the religion. Let's get the religion. Search me, oh God. See if I got religious crap in me and let's get it out and let's get the truth in. Let me finish with one more. Turn with me to Romans chapter eight. Romans chapter eight. We got to settle this thing. All right, Romans chapter eight. Dear ones, I've met so many people in my ministry time that they started out following God. They tried and then something happened. Somebody died, a marriage broke up and the enemy of our souls got in their heads and they began to be bitter against God and they ran from God and they separated from him and they cut themselves off from the source of life and he was not responsible for the bad stuff. He was trying to help them. It was, let's settle this thing in Romans 8. A few verses here. What shall we say to these things? What things? Talking about how rough it is. What's the most important question of my life? Romans 8, 31. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Let's settle the question. Uh, Listen to me. The man who knew me before time began, chose to create me, wrote my days in a book. You think he's for me? Why would he create me if he's not for me? The only reason you exist is because he chose for you to exist. The only reason you're alive is because he wants you to be alive. He didn't create you to be ugly to you. Did you create your children to be ugly to them? I created my children to be good to them. He created his children to be good to them. If God is for me, what does it matter who's against me? Uh, I, I love these passages here. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up, talking about the cross for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give me all things? The man will nail his son to a cross to help you and you don't think he'll pay your power bill. The man will kill his son so you can live and you don't think he'll forgive you for cussing. Let me tell you something. When you've given somebody the best, you'll give them the rest. That man gave his son for you. And you say, well, he gave it for all of us. I know you've heard this a million times, but hear it with your heart right now. If you'd have been the only one, Jesus would have gladly went through everything he did just for you. It used to be a great old song. When he was on the cross, I was on his mind. I was on the mind of Christ when he hung on that cross. Now the man gave his life for me and you don't think he'll help me. Uh, You need to remember this passage right here. All right. Verse 33, who shall bring a charge against God's elect? Let's take time and answer that. The devil, my ex-wife, my teacher, my next door neighbor, my kids, the people in my church. I may even know a lot of folks are critical these days. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? Watch these words. God justifies. God don't criticize. He justifies. He makes it right. Verse 34, who is he who condemns? Condemns is the word for criticize. Anybody ever been criticized? You ever been lied about? You've been criticized. And it says, who is he who criticizes? Well, today our nation's hung up on it. Listen to me. God's not beating you up. He's not the one who criticizes you. Who is he who condemns? Look at the answer, verse 34. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God praying for you right now. There was that stuff in your head beating you up. It's not Jesus. 
What's Jesus been doing? What's Jesus doing right now? Where's he at? Tell me where he's at. He's at the right hand of the Father. You say, I thought he was in here. Holy Spirit's in here. Where's Jesus right now? He's at the right hand of the Father. What's he doing? Help the boy, Father. Help the boy. Help him. He don't know what he's doing. Help the boy, Father. He, he just made a mistake. Forgive him, Father. He's running from you. Bring him back around, Father. I want to make an announcement. God is good. Jesus doesn't beat you up. Jesus raises you up. Even, you say, well, I've sinned on purpose. Help them, Father. They know not what they're doing. Bring them around. He is always in your corner, always praying for you. All right, a little bit further, let's wrap this thing up. Verse 35, who can separate me from the love of Christ? Tell me who. I said, nobody can separate me. I know you believe that, but you know what a lot of you don't believe? You think you can do it. You think you can screw up so bad that he'll stop loving you. I've got three children. I don't care what they do. They might shock me. They might surprise me. They might disappoint me, but I'll lay down my life for them till the day I die. And that's an earthly father. There's nothing you can do to stop that man from loving you. Cuss him. He'll love you. He'll overlook it if you'll ask forgiveness. There's nothing that can separate you from the love of God and the care of the father is permanent. Uh, let's read a little further here. Well, let's read 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, perilous. You hear what he's saying? All this crap we're going through in the, in the earth. Don't try to understand it. Just know this. I don't care what I go through. Jesus loves me. The father cares for me. Now, all right, there's two verses. You've got to have them together. Verse 36, it is written, for your sake, we are killed all day long. We're like sheep for the slaughter, brother Brian. It's terrible. Yes, yes, yes. I agree with you. It's terrible. And everybody's talking about how rough times are. Yes. And yes, times are rough, but you've got to do the next verse too, which says this. Let's read it together. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Yes, times are tough. Is it his will that you get beat to death and suck eggs and suffer? Yes, it's rough, but through him, we're more than conquerors. And then the great verse, don't you ever lose this verse, 38. I am persuaded. Are you persuaded or are you still beating around a bush? You still trying to figure it out? Listen, get persuaded, dear ones. I am persuaded. Death, life, angels, demons, powers, nothing now, nothing to come. Hype, death, no other created thing will ever separate me from the love of God in Christ Jesus. I've made up my mind. I don't care what happens to me. That man will never stop loving me. He'll never take his hand off of me. He'll never stop working in my life for good. There's nothing that'll ever stop him from caring for me. I, one of the great pictures, in the, and, and uh, we're living in those days where people are trying to figure things out. You will never figure this life out. And if you think you have, you got it in the wrong slot, doc. It's faith. It's not figuring out. A man named Job in the Bible one day, he was a good man. He, was, he loved God. He did right. All of a sudden one day, hell hit him like a thunderstorm. He lost everything. Lost his business. Lost his family lost his health, covered the bulls from the top to his feet, top of his head to the bottom of his feet. He lost everything except his old lady, which he should have lost. <laughs> I can get away with this. I didn't go to seminary. I got a truck driving degree. <laughs> and he lost everything and it, it made no sense. Listen, let me, let me help you. Life is not going to make sense. How come this, this great Christian woman who loved God, she gets cancer and dies at 45? This hooker lives to be 80. I can't explain this stuff. There's no, ex you don't need an explanation. You need the truth of God. And uh, Job's wife came along and said, 
you're going to keep serving God after he's done all this to you. Number one, God didn't do that to him. We got to figure out who's doing what to who. And she said, won't you just curse God and die? Don't get that voice in your head. When bad stuff happens, don't you hear that voice says, turn your back on him. And Job, the man stood up out of his ashes and he said, blessed be the name of the Lord. And he worshiped God in his blindness and in his lack of understanding. Let me help. Listen, your preacher loves you. Let me really help you. Get off your fanny. Quit sitting around trying to figure things up. Stand out and praise God. Amen. Quit, quit thinking and start thanking. Quit trying to figure it out and start worshiping so that we can last forever. All right. Uh, let me quit by saying this. Let me quit by saying this right here. Let me uh, help some of you here. You want a feeling. You want a word from heaven. You want something to happen. You're waiting on a prayer to be answered. That's your way, but it's not his way. You know what his way is? Listen to Psalm 107, verse 20. Listen to it. He sent his word and healed them and delivered them. Quit waiting on things to change. Quit waiting on a feeling. Quit waiting on somebody to come out and prop you up. Get in this book and find his trip. This is his way right here. This is why we have to build our lives on this word and what it says and be permanent. That the, the great match of faith is to be able to get in this word. All right, there's going to be a war on your faith. Anybody here experiencing a war on your faith these days? Circumstances? Feelings? How many of you get crazy feelings? Intelligence? Intellect? We settle it with this word right here. All right, I have decided, has God forgotten me? It's not going to happen. His eye will be on me the day I see him face to face. So let me tell you what I'm going to do since this word is true. One night I had a problem and uh, in my line of work, you have a lot of problems to deal with. <laughs> Several thousand sitting here right now. And uh, I had a problem I was dealing with. And I was thinking about it and I sat down and I just said, now Biggers, this is foolish. And I just looked up to him and I said, Father, I read in your word where it said you neither slumber nor sleep. They know since both of us staying awake, I'm going to bed. He said, silly. No, that's faith. Why am I sitting here trying to figure something out when he's handling everything in the universe? I'm going to bed. If you need me, call me. Praise God. And you know what the answer to everything is when you get in those dark places? You know what the answer is? Go to bed. And you know what the real answer is? Get up early and go fishing. If he doesn't hold it together, we're going to collapse anyway. You can become like a little child. You can enter his kingdom. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I want to praise you and thank you for your goodness. We're in those crazy days right now that your word prophesied. And Father, I do not take lightly that a lot of people in this room have been burned terribly and they're suffering. I know they are. Our culture, land is suffering. Your word is true that darkness has covered the earth, deep darkness, the people. But I thank you for that same word says, but the glory of the Lord will rest on you. And I thank you that your eye is on every person in this room. I thank you, Lord Jesus, every hair on my head, you know the number of it. How could I not think you're close? I thank you so much. I pray this morning for people to hear your word. Before I knit you in your mother's womb, I knew you. All the days were written. You may not know what's going on. I know exactly what's going on. Don't dictate your life by what you say. Trust me. And I thank you for that. I pray not for wisdom and intelligence, but for encouragement and comfort for people's hearts. Thank you for your word that heals us and brings grit. Thank you for your word that that brings deliverance from the junk. And now, Father, I pray the simple prayer for every person in this room. And I, I believe you'll answer my prayer over time with your word. Search my people here, O oh God. 
Search my people and see if there be any wicked way in them. See if a lie has gotten in there and they've believed it. See if they can't, or I'm not going to name them. See if there's any wicked way that's gotten in their hearts and caused them to suffer. And take it out and lead them in the way everlasting. Father, replace the garbage that cripples people with the truth that sets people free. Father, for the, the girl, the young girl who says, I'm so ugly, looks in the mirror and sees ugly, a hot line to hell, a lie, a wicked lie. In the name of Jesus, replace that lie with the truth that you are precious in my sight. I trust you for that. Let Jesus be glorified in his precious name we pray. Amen.